0: Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Hey, I don't know about you, but I've already had church this morning. Amen. Greg, choir, thanks for leading us today. Hey, if you haven't picked up on the theme, we're going to talk about our redemption story today. All right? And, and it's been subtle. I don't know if you have caught it through the music section, but uh, we're going to talk about our redemption story. So if you have your Bible, go with me to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. We're going to look at the first 12 verses today in the last chapter of Ruth. 1965 Dodgers. Lou Johnson is the hero of the game. He wins the World Series with a home run. Everybody celebrates. Everybody is excited. Johnson is, is considered uh, just a great, great uh, moment in history for the Dodgers organization. And that's where his story kind of ends for, for a number of years. You see, Lou Johnson was addicted to alcohol and drugs he lost his World Series ring to a drug dealer because he couldn't pay for his habit. In fact, everything he had, he lost. He lost his glove that he played in the World Series, he lost his uniform, he lost his bat. He gave all that up, selling it for drugs and alcohol. And over the years, he'd regretted it. Oh, over the years, he, he realized his habit had controlled his life. And then there was a change in his life, and he began to get sober. But still, he'd lost some valuable pieces just to him. Well, several years ago, his World Series ring went up on an on, uh, on auction block. And the president of the Dodgers organization, Bob Garzono, saw that it was coming up for an auction and called the auction house and paid. Uh, Close to $3,500 for his World Series ring. Never let it go up on auction. Just let me just pay it. He took it. By this time, Johnson is already sober, cleaned up. Drugs are no longer an issue for him. He's working for the Dodgers organization and, and customer relations and things like that. And Bob Garzano comes to Johnson and he says, I have a gift for you. And he gives him his World Series ring. And at that moment, Johnson was just just struck. For a piece of him that was lost had been found. He even said, I feel like I've been reborn. And what's interesting about this story is Johnson uh, recognizes in his own life, he he had kind of destroyed and made a muck of his life, just had done so many things that it was hard for him to overcome. But Bob Garzano does something for his friend, Lou Johnson, that Johnson can't do it for himself. He, he cared about Johnson so much that he purchased the ring, and he was willing to give it back to him. And This morning, we're going to talk about a redemption story much greater than Lou Johnson's World Series ring. It's a story about life. A redemption of life, of of a life that has been redeemed. As we come to the end of Ruth's book, four chapters, we've, we've walked through this book over the last several weeks. And if you remember, in week one, we start with three funerals. In chapter one, there's three funerals of Naomi's husband and her two sons who die. Much weeping and sorrow. Naomi comes back to Bethlehem and she even says, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord has made me bitter. But as we come to chapter 4, we'll see a wedding story. We'll see a redemption story. A story that's moved from weeping and tears to joy. And happiness. Now, let's be honest. I told you in week one, Ruth lays out like a Hallmark movie. You know how Hallmarks are? You've heard me say it a number of times. Boy meets girl, girl doesn't like boy. They go on and on, and finally, girl falls in love with boy. They kiss, snows if it's winter time, kiss, and then it's in, the end, right? Well, we're coming to the moment of the kiss. We're coming to the moment of the end. This morning, I want you to catch this redemption story. We're going to see this laid out because Boaz begins putting into place to redeem Naomi and Ruth. So if you have Bibles and you're at uh, Ruth chapter 4, would you stand as we read God's holy word? Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4. Boaz went to the gate of the town, and he sat down. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoke about came by and Boaz said come over here and sit down so he went over and sat down then Boaz took the ten men of the town's elders and said sit here and they sat down he said to the redeemer Naomi who Naomi who has returned from the territory of Moab is selling a portion of the field that belonged to her brother our brother Elimelech I thought you should inform you, buy it back in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I may know. Because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. Oh, well, I want to redeem it, he answered. The Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetrate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, well, I can't redeem it myself, or I will ruin my inheritance. Take my right of redemption, because I can't redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel... A man removed his sandal and gave it to another party in order to make a matter legal binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legal binding transactions in Israel. So the redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, buy back the property yourself. Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilon and Mahana. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Mahan's widow, as my wife to pep- per- perpetuate his deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not be disappeared among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are my witnesses today. All the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Elephron and from your name well known in Bethlehem. And may your house become like the house of Perez, the son of Tamar, who bore to Judah because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. You may be seated. Here's a big idea I want you to catch this morning. There's nothing anyone can do to redeem, to be redeemed. Only Christ has the ability and willingness to, to save. Listen, no matter what we do in this world, no matter how good we are, no matter how much we obey our parents, obey traffic laws, be kind to one another, we cannot redeem ourselves. We are unable to to save ourselves. It is only through Christ alone. And the good news is Christ has the ability and the willingness to save us, to redeem us, to bring us home. So as we look at this text, we we come to this this story and it's interesting, in chapter 4, we come and Boaz has heard and heard from Ruth and decides to go to the city gate. Now, the city gate's a place where lots of business transactions happen. If you wanted to buy something, you'd go to the city gate. If there was a matter in which you need to administer justice, you went to the city gate. Because at the city gate, there were these elders would hang out, people would be there. It's kind of like the uh, McDonald's of our day where people go and, and kind of have their conversation and do things. You know, you know, every town's got a place, coffee shop, that people make decisions long before they get to the, to the office. Well, the city gate was one of those. The other thing that happened at the city gate was the, the poor would hang out there. Because their hope was you'd give a little money. You'd help them out. You'd you'd make their day. You'd give them some money for lunch. So Boaz goes to the city gate. Now, we never know the name of the Redeemer. We just call him Redeemer in, in the text. Boaz is sitting there watching his people come by. City gate's a popular place. And finally, at some point in the day, the Redeemer comes by and Boaz calls him out and says, hey, would you come over and have a seat with me? Sit down here. And when he does... Boaz quickly gathers the elders around and says, I need you guys to listen and pay attention to what's about to happen. And Boaz, in all honesty, looks at the man and says, Hey, Naomi's come back. Which really the Redeemer was supposed to have already know that. And if he didn't know that, Naomi was the one who was supposed to go see him. But Boaz goes on her behalf. And he says, Naomi's come back. And now there's something in chapter 4 we've not heard before to to now. Naomi had land. Now, there's lots of questions that we could have with this. Why didn't we know she had land? Why Why didn't Ruth go glean from her own field, from their own field? Who's been overseeing their land while they've been gone? What's been happening? Who's in charge? There's so many questions, and we have no answers, just speculations boy Boaz goes to the man and says, hey, she's got a piece of property. Do you want to buy it? To which the guy says, well, sure, I'd love to buy it. Now, here's the thing, and as we've talked over, over and over through this book, a redeemer has the ability to buy back land to make their family good. In fact, here's the definition of a redeemer. Someone who pays a price on behalf of an impoverished relative in order to affect the release of the relative or his or her property. In other words, if you are a relative and you've had to sell your property to, to, to make ends meet or to slave, a redeemer would come and buy back your property on your behalf. And that way it would stay in the family unless there was a young child coming up. Then that redeemer would have to, eventually when that child got old enough to, handle the property he would let them have it so boaz says hey um we have this piece of property do you want to redeem it the man says yes then boaz starts with the second side of this story it's interesting how boaz does this he doesn't start with ruth he starts with the property the man says yes then boaz says now listen on the day you buy that property, you also inherit Ruth. Now wait a second, I didn't agree to that. Yeah, you inherited Ruth. Uh, and and it's interesting. Look at verse five, and, and I, I love how the New Living Translation puts it. Boaz told him, Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth the Moabite widow that you that way she can have a children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family so in other words listen you don't just get to buy the land you get to you get Ruth and oh by the way you got to have a child with Ruth now you and I think that's a little that's a little weird but in Old Testament customs that's how it worked if if your brother's wife dies and she has no children the next brother comes along and takes that wife as his own regardless if he has another one he takes that wife and he has a child with that wife so that his brother's name can continue in fact here's the definition for that it's called leveret and it's someone who marries to preserve the deceased man's lineage Leverage. In fact, there are three places in the Old Testament that talk about leverage. Now, we have it here in, in, in Ruth chapter 4, but it's also covered in Deuteronomy 25 when God sets things out into place. He lays this law out trying to help widows, trying to help families, that the lineage would continue. And then in Genesis 38, in fact, it mentions it here in our text, of Judah's son, Omar. Omar refused Tamar. If you remember the story in Genesis 38, Tamar's husband dies, and the next brother says, hey, I'll take her, but refuses, and we'll keep it PG this morning. You can go home, read it in verse 38, but refuses to help her have a child. But yet it was the, the responsibility. It was the law. And so Boaz sets out and says to the Redeemer, you not only have to be the Redeemer, but you have to be the the Leveret. In other words, you have to take Ruth, and you have to have a child with her. And the Redeemer says, wait a second, that's going to mess up my inheritance. Now before we look too bad on the Redeemer, let's understand what he means by that. What he means by that is i'm going to pay money to buy a piece of property and when i buy that property i'm getting a new wife for some of us that's the no right there right (laughs) so i i'm going to buy a piece of property i'm going to get a new wife then not only do i get a new wife i have to have a child with that wife and see what what Old Testament custom was, when the child got old enough, the child then inherited the land. So the man's not only out the money that he purchased for the, the land, he's also out everything that he puts into taking care of the wife and raising a son. And so the Redeemer goes, yeah, that's going to mess up my inheritance. I, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to be broke and I, I just don't want to do that. So Boaz says... You tell me. You tell me, because if, if you don't, I will. Let me give you three things that we find from Boaz. Three things that make him a redeemer. First was, he was a near relative. The only way you could be a re- redeemer is to be a near relative. Uh, Old Testament customs was, it's the next one in line. But there was an opportunity to pass. And so... The Redeemer pass, so it puts Boaz as the next in line. You have to be a near relative. Now, the second thing we find about Boaz, he could pay the price. He could pay the price. Listen, Boaz knew not only was he purchasing the property, he was taking on Ruth, and then there'd be a child to play. Now, I didn't mention this last week when we look at Boaz, but if you remember back in chapter three, when she's laying at Boaz's feet, uncovers his feet, he wakes up, he makes this statement that you could have found a younger man or even a richer man, but you've come to me. You come to me. Boaz, we take from that text, Boaz isn't as young as Ruth. And yet, if you look at it in a financial way, you could argue, Boaz, you're, you may not get a great return on investment, but it didn't matter. He had the ability, and he could pay, and was, was the third thing we see was he was willing. We see uh, he was willing to do that. He was willing not everybody is always willing and boaz said i'll do it I, I will i will take her on and we see and i've said this all along through this series we see the christ figure in boaz of how he's loved how he's provided and how he's cared for and so this morning, our redemption story. Our redemption story is all about Christ and what he did for your life and for my life. And so let's, let's look at the Christ piece of the redemption because Christ is a, is a, came and was a r- close member of our family. Uh, look at the next point here, verse 1, or the first point of, of, of that one christ became like us he became like us christ came to a point in his life he became like us the hebrew writer tells us this we're gonna get there there he goes hebrews and it says and now since the children have flesh and blood in common jesus also shared in these listen Do you know that Christ could have redeemed us and never came to this earth? Do you catch that? God could have come up with a different way to redeem us, but he sent his one and only son to become like us, to share in these things. Why? So he could be just like us. He could be just like us. And to free those who were held in slavery in all their lives by the fear of death. Christ became like us When we talk about the redemption story we don't talk about a God who doesn't understand our trials and tribulations we don't talk about a God who is off in some distance we talk about about a God who loved us so much he sent his one and only son and while he walked this earth he faced the temptations that you and I face He, he faced the struggles he faced the hardships he faced it all And remember when we get to the garden scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays under those trees, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He became like us. He He knew what the pain was. He knew what the agony was about to be on the cross. It wasn't like he went to the cross and said, hit me again, I can't feel it. He went to the cross and said, It is for my people. The second thing we find in our text, Christ paid the price for our sins. Christ paid the price for our sins. And here's the thing. It's only Christ who can pay the price. Nobody else could pay that price. Nobody else had the ability to pay that price. She doesn't have to go. I can get louder. (laughs) She wants to preach with me, tell her to come on. Only Christ has the ability to pay that price. Only Christ has has that ability. You, you and I don't have enough in our bank account to pay for our freedom. We can't set our souls free no matter how hard we try. But, but remember, everything has a cost. But Boaz has to go and buy, buy and purchase the land. He had to give something to get the land and Ruth. Do you realize your redemption cost your redemption cost Jesus' his life? He went to the cross. He was beaten. Mocked. Made fun of and And tortured in front of people our redemption cost he's the only one who could have done it he's the one who could pay that price first Peter tells us this for you know that you were redeemed from your empty ways of life inherited from your fathers not with perishable things like silver or gold But with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. The precious blood of Christ. That's what cost us. That's what paid for us. That's what Christ did for us. The third thing we see in our text. Christ was willing. He was willing. He was willing to go. And pay the ultimate price. He came to this earth for one reason. One reason only. So that you and I could have eternal life. That if we would surrender ourselves and recognize we need to, to be redeemed. He'd redeem us. He would pay that price. Oh, we can't measure up. We don't earn it. It's like growing up as a kid. There were a number of times that I tried to earn something. And sometimes my parents let me do it. I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, Drew will never get, this, never get this opportunity. My parents left me, not that we won't leave Drew, sure we will. Uh, my parents left me when I was 19 years old and went to spring break with my brother because he played baseball. I had the house to myself. Didn't know how to cook, didn't know how to do anything, except I had a job, and had money, I could go out to eat. I was begging for a motorcycle at the time. And my father kept saying no. And I kept saying, but I want a motorcycle. My mother grew up around motorcycles. My dad hates three things. Uh, motorcycles, water, because he can't swim, and guns. I, I've had or got all three things. Just, just how it goes. And so I said to my mother, hey, if you come home and your house is in a wreck from a party, can I get a motorcycle? Now, number one, I wouldn't have wrecked their house for a party for fear of my father to begin with. But I said, can I get a motorcycle? She says, we'll talk about it, which meant in our household, yes. I'll just convince your father later. So I, I just, I did i had a friend over all week they didn't tell me i couldn't have a friend over so i had a friend over all week i made him stay in one room this is the only room you can dirty up he worked for a landscaping company i made him do all mom's landscaping so when she got home at spring break it was all done for her i got my motorcycle here's the thing no matter how you live your life on this side of eternity No matter how much we think we can do it we can't bargain our way earn our way into heaven it's only through christ and guess what christ is willing he's willing to do that look at john 10 with me this is why the father loves me because i lay down my life so that i may take it up again no one takes it from me but i lay it down on my what church I lay it down on my own. He's willing. He's willing to do that for you. He's willing to do that for me. Listen, that's our redemption story. That's the story that we come to and realize we've been redeemed, that we've got the opportunity to be changed. Chim Chalice does a blog. He's from Canada. He, he, does, he does a number of things. He's a great writer, great theologian. One of his blogs, he tells a story, and, and I, I, I can't think of a better way than to retell his story. It's about a pig and a sheep. This pig and sheep Uh, are hanging out on the farm one day and they find a loose board on the bottom rung of the fence they begin to put their weight into it and over time as they put their weight into it the board gets gives way so the pig and sheep they they escape as they escape they they go wandering off looking into new territories they've never been They've never been down these paths. They've never been in this field. They've never been around all this stuff. What new and exciting things they get to go see. And the farmer one day realizes the, the pig and the sheep have escaped. And so the farmer goes looking for the, the pig and the sheep. He's unable to find the pig and the sheep. Not, darkness comes and they begin the farmer begins to wonder, where in the world has that pig and that sheep have gone? They couldn't have gone far, but they've gone. Overnight, the farmer goes home and has a restless night. The next day, he gets up and begins his search again. And as he begins the sh- search again, he begins to hear that sheep wailing off in a distance. He begins to listen to that sound and begins to follow that sound and finds that ship, that sheep and pig. They've fallen into a hole of muck and mud. And the sheep is just wailing because the sheep can't get out. The pig, on the other hand, is content. The pig likes it. He rolls around in that mud. He just is content living like that. But the sheep realizes that's not the way I need to live. The farmer looks down and realizes that's life. That's life for so many of us. We go off on a journey and we find ourselves in a hole in the muck and the mire. We find ourselves struggling on what to do and how to get out. The sheep recognized, I need to be clean. Posed off, and freed. The farmer thinks to himself, oh, how we are this way. That when we find ourselves wandering on our own and we fall into that mud hole, what we desperately need to do is stop, cry out to God. Cry out to God to redeem us. For he'll come, just as the farmer did, pull you out of the mud, wash you off, wipe away all those that muck in your life, and make you whole. Friends, that's our redemption story. We've all been in the pig and in the sheep's place the only question is today are we living like pigs wallowing in the mud enjoying it and content with our life or have we cried out recognizing we need to be saved if you're here this morning and you've never confessed christ i can tell you which animal you are you're the pig don't take that wrong don't take that ugly i'm not not talking about your eating habits or anything i'm just reminding us that we get content. We get content in our sinful ways. We get content with the way life goes. But that's not how God envisioned our life. That's not the reason Christ came to this earth. He came to set us free. He came so that we could be clean and have a life so differently. This morning if you don't know Christ then you certainly are like the pig and I would tell you we need to be like the sheep maybe you're here this morning and you are the sheep but you've fallen into a pit you need to be reminded you need to cry out to God father would you just rescue me here's the thing be honest be honest with God Tell him where you are. He knows, but he waits for you to tell him. Cry out. And let God rescue you. He'll make you whiter than snow. He'll wash away all your sins. He'll free you from the mud and the muck. Would you stand with me this morning?